The reading is from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of for me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Grace, uh, very much indeed. Um, good to be with you, folks. My name is Paul. Um, why don't we pray together? Father, we do ask that by your Spirit you would speak to us through your word this evening, that we would learn more of you and what it means to follow you. I pray. Amen. Um, I thought I would uh, start by telling you a story about um, when I was at uh, secondary school. Um, where I grew up, the, the school that I went to, the, the secondary school, was uh, the, the playground um, area backed onto the church that I grew up in, uh, that my parents still go to, actually. Um, and between there was a kind of fence, and then there were some big evergreen trees um, that sort of divided uh, where we used to play, uh, the sort of you know, play football and hang out and that sort of thing in the school, and the church kind of back garden grounds over that way. Now, we would often be uh, playing football or something like that, and every now and again, a ball would sort of get kicked as though it was going to go across the fence, and occasionally, you know, it would sort of bounce back and that sort of thing. And one particular occasion, we're playing, and the ball gets kicked up, it sort of hits the trees, slides its way down, and on the wrong side of the fence, lands in the church grounds. And then from out of nowhere, one of the uh, kids that we were kind of hanging out playing with suddenly turns around and points at me and goes, you go to that church, you go and get the ball. And I could have happily had the grounds open up and me fall into it at that point. 
if you can imagine, he sort of turns around, points his finger, and everyone suddenly sort of stops and looks around at me. And I'm thinking, to be honest, I didn't really know, knew that you know I go to church. Um, I can't honestly remember what I did at that point, other than sort of feeling like I wanted to run away. But I felt uh, very small. Um, I felt like I was very, very exposed. I didn't feel particularly uh, um, uh, sort of confident or impressive or like I had an answer or knew what I was... I, I just sort of stood there. And how that question of how impressive should Christians be, how confident should we be, um, should we be uh, strong and, uh, and impressive and, and, um, and so on? At the moment, I feel like the dial on that question has been turned right up. So we're in the middle of a pandemic, and uh, people are asking, do they think the church will ever recover after a pandemic? Will people bother coming back? People have got used to not coming. Uh, there are major elections happening in the US uh, in a very soon. Um, people are asking, what, what sort of influence should Christians, should a church have uh, in the sphere of politics? Does it matter? Should they appear to be impressive and strong and powerful and influential, or shouldn't they? And a big part of the letter that we've been looking at, this letter to the Philippians, is um, it's kind of Paul is writing to this church, and part of what he's been writing about is discernment, being able to know the times that you're in, being able to see wisely. I've called it looking through a Jesus lens, being able to interpret the times that they are a part of. And this question easily hangs over this little Philippian church, a little, little church that Paul helped found under a Roman colony wouldn't have looked particularly strong, wouldn't necessarily have been very impressive. And this question, does that matter if they aren't? If they feel small and insignificant? Does it matter? Well, we glimpse a little bit of a backstory at the opening of this uh, um, section that we just had uh, read out. Um, a bit of sort of backstory of what's been going on with the Philippian church there. And he says in verse 2, if I pick it up there, he says to them, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. And what has happened is there are some folk around the church, in and around, who are telling them that you need to be circumcised. You need the Jewish sign to show that you belong. And this is quite possibly like the situation that is told in the letter to the Galatians. So if you want to look and sort of find out where Paul talks much more about that, um, it's in that letter. But we have this sort of similar sort of situation where people are saying, you need this extra visible sign, something that shows that you're really a part of things, that you really belong, something you can be confident in because you can see it. And Paul, in his response and what he talks about, and we'll look at this evening, is saying to them this. He is saying... Don't look, don't look for a tick box confidence. Don't look for a tick box confidence. Don't look for an easy confidence that you can see now. Paul um, calls them, uh, as you just saw, he calls them dogs um, in verse uh, 2. He says, watch out for those dogs. Now, when we think of dogs, I'm sure you think of something like this. Um, very sweet. Um, you, you know, you'd love to have around, very friendly, 
um, and so on. But he doesn't mean dogs like that. In, in the way that when Paul writes this, dogs weren't viewed in quite that way. They weren't quite the companions uh, that they might be um, to us. Uh, he's imagining something much more menacing and sinister. Uh, I'm not doing well with this. It's very jumpy. Uh, something more sinister and, uh, and, um, and, and twisting uh, them away from the faith that he's been trying to um, encourage them in. He calls them uh, evildoers. And what he's trying to say to them is, don't be thrown off by this idea that confidence comes from what you can see now. Don't be thrown off by that. He says, for it is we, verse 3, who are the circumcision. Uh, He's saying we are really the true followers of God. We are those who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. You know, all those things that he says there, they're invisible things. We are the true followers, and those things that make us so, you can't see. So don't put your confidence, an easy confidence, in something that uh, is is visible. Um, And then he explains... They don't need these kind of um, Jewish uh, signs. And if somebody wanted to, if you, he says, if, you know, if we want to play the game of who's got the most uh, things that they can tick off the list, he says, I can play that game with you to the end of the day. And he lists them here, and I've, I've put them up on the screen so you can see them. He goes to them, and these are the, he's saying, look, there was a time when I looked for tick box confidence. When I looked for a confidence I could see now. Uh, visible things I could rely on. So he says, I'll use the word advantages. They're sort of advantages that he had, um, birth advantages. If we're talking about circumcision, I was circumcised on the eighth day, as you were meant to. He says, I've got uh, national advantages, not just my family, but national advantages. So I'm of the people of Israel. Uh, He says, I've got class advantages. Um, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. So not just from the people of Israel, I'm from uh, the tribe from whom the first kings came. So I have class advantages on my side. I have educational advantages. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, so I was, uh, I was taught Hebrew. Uh, not everyone uh, at that time would have spoken Hebrew, but Paul was able to. He says, I have theological tribe advantages. Uh, Paul was religious. He was part of the group called the Pharisees. He's kind of saying, I was amongst the strictest. If you were looking for, you know, who's most religious, I was amongst the strictest group in the Pharisees. He says, I have character advantages. Uh, He says, as for zeal, persecuting the church. It turns out, in my character, I have all the things that you need to be a bully of others. And he says, as for uh, righteousness uh, based on the law, faultless. He says, actually, do you know, I also have temperament uh, advantages. So I'm, by nature, I'm controlled. I don't make mistakes. Isn't that great for me? He says, look, I could tick through all these things if you want to play that game. All these ways in which Paul would say he gained his security and his identity. He had his righteousness By that he means his sense of standing in the world, that he knew he was all right, that he knew he had confidence in who he was and he could say, I am doing well. He had a whole list of things he could tick through and say, I am okay. For the the doing well Jewish person, this was it. It was this kind of list. Now, it was a kind of religious, uh, he was a religious elite 
Now, you might look at this list, and to be honest, you might be thinking, well, that don't impress me much, in the immortal words of Shania Twain. And it might be that you kind of look at this thing, and, you know, I've got no interest in being any of those things. But what would it mean for us now? What would it mean to be the doing well Christian now? I wonder, is it that sense that you knew you had a good school that you went to, uh, that you've got a good set of exam results behind you, uh, that you've been to the right kind of university? I wonder if it might mean that you feel you're going to be married at some point, or are married. You feel that you might have children in the future. That you have a profession that you're working towards, or are in, and that you feel you have growing influence in that profession. Perhaps it's the the right sort of church background. I know I've come from the right kinds of churches, uh, the right kind of theological tribe, I could tick some of these off for you. These are the things that we we, uh, use to make ourselves feel secure, to feel perhaps impressive in comparison to others, things that we feel we can have to to say, do you know, I feel like God is clearly watching over me. It's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes we conflate these two different things. I get a good set of exam results. I feel God must be smiling on me at the moment. I wonder what confidence for the doing well church would look like. What does it look like for a church to feel it's, it's doing well? What would its tick list be? Would it be that it's got good numbers coming? Or that it's got an effective student ministry? Or that it's got a growing church planting ministry? What are the things we would tick off and say, I can, I can look to these and know I am doing well? Paul says in verse 7, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He casts them as loss. Now, notice when he does that, many of these things are neutral things, aren't they? They are uh, they're, they're neutral. They're, they're things he's got largely no control over. I'm pretty sure um, you know, none of you could have determined which family you would be born into. You've got no control over it. My guess is most of you uh, didn't really have much say over the school that you went to, particularly early on. Those things were determined for you. They're they're not things you can change or do anything about. But what Paul is saying here is he says he doesn't look to them anymore. He doesn't rely on them anymore. He considers them, verse 8, he considers them rubbish, garbage. He he considers them negative things. And why negative? I think it's because all of them in some way draw him away from and stop him relying on Jesus. The things that he can find himself looking to that isn't Jesus Christ. So he's not saying don't have confidence, but he's saying have confidence in Christ and not in these other things. And that's what uh, he moves on to when he says, do have confidence uh, in Christ. And verse, if I read verses 8 and 9 to you, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God 
on the basis of faith. Paul's righteousness, I said that was his standing, comes not from the law, not from what he can do or achieve, not things that he can tick and say, I have completed that. His righteousness, he says, comes through faith and faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what does he mean when he says it comes through faith? Um, there is, uh, I came across this story about a, uh, a missionary uh, called John Patton. Now, not pictured here. I'm just using this picture as an illustration. John Patton was a missionary to the um, islands in the South Pacific. Um, and he found that one of the hardest things to do was to translate for the local people he had taken the gospel to, to translate the idea of faith in Christ. What did it mean to have faith, to, to live uh, by faith? And then at one point, someone came to him in quite a lot of physical distress, uh, who was not doing well. And they came to him and said, please can I come and lean heavily on you? And he said, that is what it means to live by faith. It is to lean heavily on someone and to lean heavily on Jesus Christ. Faith is leaning heavily on Christ, not leaning on the things of this world. Faith is saying, I am not leaning on what I have achieved, the things that have come to me by my background uh, or birth, the things that I have made uh, and, and worked to do. Why? Because they will eventually exhaust me or fail under the weight of what I try and place on them. Think about those things that we look to in life. Eventually, at some point, they will fail us or be broken under the weight of what we try and place upon them, whether it's uh, an education, whether it's uh, a job, a reputation, uh, a family, a marriage. Paul says, I'm leaning on Jesus' achievements. He says, I'm leaning heavily on Christ. I'm leaning on his perfect life that he lived and I'm leaning on his death that he made in my place as payment for the ways in which I haven't lived that perfect life. I'm leaning on him. I get his life, his perfect life. I get his death in my place, and I can lean on that, and it can bear that weight, which anything else cannot. That is real confidence. That is confidence now, and it's a confidence that is not just for now, but runs into the future. And that's the last bit of what Paul is saying here. He says, uh, press on to what is already ours. So verse 10, he kind of moves seamlessly from this into the future. He says, I want to know Christ. He's confident that he has Christ in verse 10. Um, but he says, I want to know him more and more. I want to be somebody who, who more richly and deeply understands Christ and what it means to follow him. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. He knows it means potentially more, more hardship, not less. And it means that death isn't something to be feared, but that death is the route to resurrection. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul describes himself as pressing forwards. He knows he's not there yet, 
Uh, he knows there is a, a destination, there is a prize that he's still working towards, that he's moving towards. I think it's why the New Testament often describes the Christian life as an inheritance. Uh, if you can imagine, if you're somebody who is uh, going to inherit, it, effectively you have it now. Um, it is an inheritance that will come to you. You, won't, you don't have it until you get there in the future, but it is yours. You will inherit something. And the, the New Testament often uses that idea for, for the Christian faith. So he has Christ and he waits for what will eventually be his one day. Now, why is Paul um, writing this uh, to this struggling little church in Philippi? If you imagine them, they are a, a small church uh, who we know, we've, we've said, are suffering hardship. They've suffered some persecution. They've been uh, under duress and challenge under a Roman authority, and they don't look very powerful, and they don't look very impressive, and they may well have lacked confidence, and in come these other voices saying, you need these other things to be confident in that you can see, and Paul's message is, don't be put off by how things look now. Don't be put off by how things look now. Your and my Christian life may not look very impressive if you think about it, what are we? We are, we are a gathering of Christians. Uh, uh, you may not be a Christian here this evening. Um, uh, I would invite you to, to find out from others uh, what they make of this. But a gathering of Christians is a gathering of broken human beings who are leaning heavily on Christ together. That's pretty much what we are. We're a gathering of broken, sinful human beings who together are leaning heavily on Jesus Christ. And that's not going to look that impressive, is it? It's not going to be filled with confidence. And Paul says, don't be put off by that. And in fact, the church won't necessarily look impressive in the world's eyes. Currently, church, what we're doing here, it is a bit weird, isn't it? Church is a bit, it's just a bit odd. We kind of come in, and you do all the things on the way in, and then we sit down, and you're not allowed to be too close to people, and we've all got face coverings on, and we can't sing, and we don't quite know what to do with ourselves, and then we kind of have to get up and go at the end. And that's church. Um, and if you're fortunate, maybe you've got a Zoom meeting on the side, and that's about it. Church is weird. And church won't necessarily look impressive in the world's eyes, Paul says. And you, know, you may know folks who are at home isolating, and maybe they watched earlier on today when it was live-streamed. And they must be, you know, I sometimes think you must, people must be sitting at home going, this is church, here I am, I'm on my own and I'm singing to the TV. Gosh, this is weird. The church won't necessarily look very impressive. And in fact... If it did, if a tick-box confidence was what we relied on, actually it would divide us very quickly because how many of us have got certain things we could tick off and others would have others and we'd find that if we were relying on those things, we'd quickly separate into different camps and tribes, wouldn't we? But actually, a confidence in Christ is the great leveller. We lean together on Christ and what he's done for us. But lastly, confidence in Christ means that we know there is glory to come. It means actually particularly in these times, in a pandemic, we don't need to fear death. If 
leaning heavily on something is faith. And leaning heavily on the things of this world was important to us. Well, death would mean losing everything you have. And in one sense, you can see it all around us. The fear of death and the possibility of losing everything we have. And Paul says, actually, what the church has focused on for centuries is that we don't need to fear death. We have a hope in a bodily resurrection, in a new creation, in a world to come, and we are being drawn and pulled forward to that by our faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to sing. Uh, we're going to sing. No, we're not. We never do. We're going to listen. <laughs> See, it's weird. Um, we're going to listen um, to some words in just a moment. Um, uh, the song is, is a terrific one, and the chorus says, Oh, the wonderful cross bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. It draws us forwards. Faith in Christ, leaning heavily on him, draws us to a glory that is to come. Let's listen and reflect. <laughs> 